All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bible study. Glad you're here. Uh, we're going to take some time and pray and ask God's blessing and then proceed. Let's pray. Father, thanks for time to gather and time to hear from you. We ask that uh, we would uh, really receive of you tonight. We open our hearts, our minds. Uh, we open ourselves to whatever truth you want to pour into us. Uh, and we come to you in a posture ready to receive what you want to say and to receive what you want to do in our hearts. Uh, God, I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would speak to us. I pray, God, that you would comfort us. I ask God you love us. And I just ask, Father, that this would be a time where you, we are engaged with you and we're engaged with your Holy Spirit in a learning process. So we ask have your way. Bless this time, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 8. If you need a Bible, you can feel free to grab one off the table here. They are available for your use. Luke chapter 8. Also take this opportunity uh, to remind people, mainly that are listening to this on a podcast, that if you'd like to participate in our time, uh, we have the means available through a uh, website at www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study. At that spot, you can press a button and record a message, and we will receive it. And if you have any questions, uh, we'd love to answer them during Bible study. Any comments that you'd like to make, that you talk about anything we're talking about, uh, we'd love to hear from you, and we'll make sure we play that during our time and respond appropriately. So participate if you'd like to. Luke chapter 8, verse 55. Can I get a volunteer to read that? All right, thanks. Uh, this uh, verse is referring to Jairus' daughter. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. Do you remember Jairus? Yeah, he's the ruler of the synagogue, one of the rulers of the synagogue. And he had come to Jesus, and uh, right in the midst of a, a big crowd of people that were welcoming Jesus back to town, the Bible says they had been waiting for him, and so... They gathered around him and, and began to press in on him. And so there was quite a, a gathering of people. They were excited to see Jesus. They were excited to come back. They were expecting great and awesome things. And this ruler of the synagogue came, and he's described as falling at Jesus' feet. And he was imploring Jesus. He was begging Jesus, please help me, his only daughter. And the Bible points out it's his only daughter, she was around 12 years old, was dying. And so he had come to Jesus to ask Jesus to help, because he's desperate. I don't know how the rulers of the synagogue really viewed Jesus at this point in his ministry. We know the Pharisees and the Sadducees generally had a... a at least suspicious, if not downright uh, kind of rejection toward Jesus. Uh, so this rule of the synagogue, we have no idea how he felt about him, but 
As is the case with a lot of people, when they get into desperate times, they will turn to him. And it's interesting that he was not ashamed to fall at Jesus' feet in front of all these people. And it was a crowd of people that were there. And they're from this town. They're from where he was from. They knew him, I'm sure, as one of the leaders of the synagogue. And he humbled himself. He fell at Jesus' feet. Desperation, faith, whatever it was. And he begged Jesus to come to his house to heal his daughter. Uh, you got one daughter, and she's dying. Uh, I'm sure if you, you have any option, uh, you go and you do that. And I've been with people who, uh, when they find out they have cancer, will do some fairly desperate things. Uh, especially if they have a bad prognosis from the doctor, and uh, they're not sure what to do. Uh, desperation sometimes sets in. And there's just something about that. There's something about facing death. There's something about uh, being in that kind of a circumstance where uh, you will do what you need to do or what you perceive you need to do in order to help or preserve or whatever. And I can only imagine uh, with this man's daughter how he must have felt and what he was willing to do in order to preserve her life. And so he demonstrates some of that by how he approaches Jesus and what happens here. So uh, he falls at his feet, help me, begs him in front of all these people, begs him, his daughter's dying. So Jesus uh, started out on the way to see Jairus, Jairus' daughter, and as he was walking, the crowd pressed in on him. And if you've ever been in a huge crowd like that, I don't know if you've ever been at a big event, like where you've been in a crowd, uh, where people are just pressing in on one another, I remember I was at a, some kind of a, a festival concert. I've been at a few of them where the closer you get to the front, the closer people get, and they just press in on each other. Almost to the point, I mean, there's sometimes I'm just standing there thinking even if I passed out, I'd still be upright. I mean, I'm just being held up by everybody around me. And I remember being at one of these things, and we were so tight together, and these guys, I, I won't describe what I thought of them at the time, but they were running from the side of the crowd, and uh, there were a couple of them that were standing with their hands like this, and the guy would put his foot into their hands, and he were launching these guys into this, this tightly pressed crowd. And, you know, they were landing on people and all this other stuff, but everybody was so tightly together, they were just kind of rolling on top of people. And, uh, and I, I mean, I consider that a jerk move. I mean, uh, I think it was the same show. Uh, that one of my friends that was there with me, uh, her wrist got broken from somebody doing that because she put her hand up at the last second to try to protect her head, and a guy just just landed right on her wrist, broke her wrist. Uh, we had to leave there and go to Kraus, you know, to get it to have her taken care of. Anyway, uh, so so I mean that that's the kind of feeling and that's the kind of thing that's going on. Kind of in a funny funny end of that story. Somehow, all of us are able to work together to create a hole in the middle of the crowd where these guys were landing. And so at one point when the guy launched, because they'd scream when they were coming, right? We were able to move apart just enough that the guy just kind of flipped over and just hit the ground right in front of us. I was like, yes. Don't do that again, man. Of course, he was so drunk he didn't get hurt, but I mean, it's still the point of the thing. So I felt better. 
So they're in this crowd. That story completely aside. They were in this crowd. Pressing up on each other. And there was a woman. And you probably know this story. There was a woman who had an issue of blood. She had a bleeding issue. In her, or in her woman parts. And so she had gone to doctors. The Bible, some, some places in the Bible said she had suffered at the hands of doctors trying to heal her, trying to help her. And she had come up to Jesus and she reasoned in herself. She said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. And so in this huge crowd, she makes her way through, pressing, pressing, pressing. Gets to Jesus, puts her hand on his garment, and power from him, the healing virtue of Christ, flowed out of him into her, and she was instantly healed. But Jesus felt that. And that's kind of an interesting thought, that he felt that leave him. That, that it was like something left him, he could feel it. And so he, he turned and he, to his disciples said, who just touched me? Well, there were thousands of people pressing in on him all around everybody, and everybody was getting touched. Everybody was pressing on each other. His disciples pretty much said that. It's like, you're asking us who touched you. Everybody's touching you. Everybody's touching us. We were in this huge crowd, and everybody's pressing on each other. And they looked around, they looked around, and the woman realized that she was caught, sneaking up behind Jesus and stalking out a little piece of his healing power off the hem of his garment and so she admitted it and and jesus response to her is yeah great faith it's made you whole so as he turned to do that some uh, a messenger came from jairus's house and he said the girl is dead so don't bother the master anymore and so Jesus had a response to Jairus and a response to the guy who brought the message. And he said this, fear not, fear not, only believe. And I want you to think about those words. Fear not, only believe. Now they just received word, they received the fact of the matter. The fact of the matter was she was dead. That was the fact. Jesus responds to the fact of the matter by saying, fear not, only believe. And I want you to understand from that verse, there's somewhat of an inverse relationship between those two things. There's somewhat of an inverse relationship between fearing and believing. If you think about what was Jairus' greatest fear, well, his greatest fear was his daughter was going to die. That's why he had gone after Jesus. That's why he had, he had sought him out. That's why he had begged him to come. He had humbled himself in front of all these people in order to get him to come to heal his daughter because he feared she was going to die. And so when this guy came, it's like, don't bother him anymore. She's dead. Well, that was his greatest fear. And so Jesus' response to his greatest fear, he was realizing his greatest fear. In that moment, he was living out his greatest fear. And Jesus says, fear not, only believe. And I hope from that you can see the inverse relationship between those two things. Because he was going to have to choose there. He was either going to live in the fear, which was his daughter is dead. That was the fact of the matter. And he could live in that fear or he could choose to believe. But there wasn't both. 
And that's what Jesus was trying to say to him, and that it's not both. If you're going to believe the fact of the matter, if you're going to believe that what this guy just told you is the case, then there's no belief in that. All right, as far as he was concerned, then she's dead. But if you can overcome, and this is what he's telling Jairus, whether or not Jairus could do it or not, I think that was up to Jairus. But he said, if you can overcome your greatest fear, or if you can overcome this fear that you're experiencing right now, this fear which you're realizing right now, this fear that is so huge right in front of you right now, if you can overcome that and only believe, your daughter's going to live. And that was a powerful statement. Because how do you tell somebody that? How do you tell somebody that? And I want you to think about how hard it would be not only to hear that, but how hard would it be to tell somebody that too? I don't know if you remember a few years ago, uh, we had, uh, I'm trying to think of the circumstances, there was, I believe, a little girl that was killed in a car crash, drowned, uh, downstate. And somehow we had heard about that because it was put onto our prayer list. Uh, and so a couple of guys that were you know, on the prayer list, they responded to that by saying, I think we should go down there and pray over this little girl that she would be raised from the dead. Now, okay, that's a bold statement. That didn't cross my mind. I read about the prayer. I read from the prayer list. I'm like, I'll pray for the mom. I'll pray for the dad. That was my thought. It didn't occur to me to drive down there to to raise this girl from the dead. I mean, you know, death comes our way sometimes. And I'm kind of in that business of dealing with death. And so it doesn't always occur to me to do something like that or hardly ever occur to me to do something like that. And so when they said it to me, I had to suppress my first reaction. Because my first reaction was, hey, Andy, we want to go down and we want to pray for this girl to be raised from the dead. Good. All right. All right. Right on. Okay. All right. And so, all right. So it's all right with you? I'm like, what am I going to say to that? You know, really? What am I really going to say to that? No. Like, you. I'm like, you really feel like you should do that? Yeah. You feel like God's speaking to you? Yeah. All right. Well, then get to it. Problem was, they contacted uh, the pastor of the church through whom the prayer request came. And he contacted the parents. And the pastor of the church was completely negative toward it. said, no way. And then he talked to the parents, and the parents were like, well, yeah, why not? Okay, well, why not? What do you got to lose? I mean, think about that. What do you have to lose? Is she dead? They're not going to make her more dead. She's dead. And the parents were like, well, yeah, it's not going to hurt anything. But the pastor absolutely refused to facilitate it. And what I want to say from that is this. Fear is is a powerful, powerful thing. And fear will keep us from believing. It will keep us from exercising the faith that God's put in us. 
Fear of what? I mean, what do pastors fear? You know what they fear? Getting sued. That's what they fear. They fear looking bad. They fear being publicly ridiculed. They fear other people judging them. They fear their church judging them. They fear the community judging them. They fear they're going to lose their jobs because other people just don't agree with them or don't understand what they're doing or what they're saying. Those are the kind of things they fear. And that keeps a person from really doing something fantastic. Really. Because it's those crazy things, those fantastic things that sets our God apart. We don't go through the motions. We don't go through the religion. We don't just go about just whatever because that's the way we've always done it. It's those moments, it's those fantastic moments that God puts in our way where somebody rises up in faith or somebody has a word about something or somebody's faith is just ignited somehow. And we see a miracle or we see signs and wonders or we see something happen. Those are the moments that, that make this all real. It's not real enough that, you know, we could open up the doors on Sunday. It's not real enough that we have Bible studies or prayer meetings. It's not real enough that we, we have songs. Ooh, we're going to do a new song this Sunday. That's not real enough. As exciting as that is, it's not real enough. And so we can't miss the, the, the awesome moments that God brings our way where somebody is stirred up like that. You can't repress that. When somebody stands up and says, I, I really believe God's telling me this. Or, or somebody goes, they lay hands on somebody rolling around in a wheelchair to believe they're going to walk again. You don't, I, to me, and this is my opinion, you don't repress that. You don't stop that. I mean, I have seen some weird stuff in the last 30 years by not doing that, not shutting things down. I've seen some weird stuff, and I've also seen some awesome stuff in the last 30 years because I won't shut it down. Yeah, big-time weirdos that have come my way over the years. Some of the, some of the most awesome experiences I've ever had. Guys that have prophesied over me that wouldn't even be allowed in most places and I'm still receiving of the words that were given over me. And that was 25 years ago. Still receiving the fruit of that. Because I was just willing to take a chance. So fear shuts down a lot of faith. And so I want to encourage you to the words of Jesus as he spoke to Jairus. Fear not, only believe. So they ended up at the house, uh, there's mourners there. Back then, they would pay mourners to come as they had special skills at mourning, like crying and wailing and gnashing their teeth. Yes. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, it was really uh, quite a deal. And uh, the family was there, I'm sure. And so the, the girl is dead. That was the word. That was the fact of the matter. So Jesus took Peter, James, John, and the parents into the room where the girl was, where they had her laid out, because people did that at, at home then. And he had, uh, he had told them, he's like, well, don't worry, she's only sleeping, she's not dead. And all the people there just laughed at him. They laughed at Jesus. 
Just laughed right at him. He's like, they knew. They knew she was dead. The facts were, the facts were in. These are the facts. She's dead. Period. Jesus like, oh, she's just sleeping. They knew she wasn't sleeping. They didn't fully understand what he was saying, but they knew she wasn't sleeping. And so they were just laughing at him. And the, the, the word there for laugh is to utterly deride. So it's more than just laughing. They were mocking him and laughing at him for what he said. Because they knew. I do want to say this, and I'll get back to this in a second, but I do want to say this. Be careful of what you know. Just be careful. Because we serve a, a God who, and, and he was a human being, he walked on water. Do you know people can't walk on water? Be careful of what you know. You know, Philip, he was a guy, and he transported from one place to another instantaneously. Miles and miles and miles from one place to another. He disappeared from one place, appeared another. Like a Star Trek transporter. You know, people can't do that. Do you know people can't do that? Be careful about what you know. Just be careful. And and I'm not trying to question your reality. But we need to question our reality a little bit. Because we live in a supernatural reality. And sometimes there are just things that need to change. Sometimes there are just things that need to happen. Sometimes there are moments where it's going to call for something more than, well, I've never seen that before. Correct. Correct. And there's a reason for that. It's not the way things are normally done, but that's the kind of God we serve. He steps in to situations where he's not going to do it the normal way. It's all right. Be careful of what you know. And so they knew, they knew, they, they laid her out. These are the same people. They laid her out. I'm sure they had dressed her, cleaned her up. They had seen her. They were convinced she was dead. She'd been pronounced dead. They had hired some mourners. She was dead. They knew that. They knew. And so there they were deriding Jesus. Okay, somebody look at Ecclesiastes 12.7. I think we're finally at the verse. How's that? The verse we're getting to. Ecclesiastes 12.7. going to talk to you a little bit about what happens when you're dead. All right, so this is talking, this is Ecclesiastes, Old Testament understanding, and what they're saying in Ecclesiastes, when you die, your body returns to the earth, because we know in the creation story, God took our bodies from the earth, he formed us from the earth, and he breathed into us the breath of life. And it was through that that man became a living soul. That's how it's described in the creation story. So here in Ecclesiastes 12.7, you're seeing... The, the thing happening when somebody dies. So that's how we were brought to life. And so when we die, what that verse says is that we return to the earth. In other words, our bodies, our physical bodies, return to that which they came from, the earth. How God formed us from the earth. And then it says our spirits return to God from where they came. 
So that's what happens when you die. According to Ecclesiastes 12.7. Also according to our story in Luke chapter 8. Because what happens is, according to that verse that you're looking at, or, or chapter 8 verse 55, and what happens is, is that that girl, when she died, her spirit left her body. And they had laid her body out, and they had cleaned her body up, and they had dressed her, and they had made her presentable, and they were mourning her death. They knew she was dead. Her spirit had left. Another verse too, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. There's another verse talks about that. Alright, so another word, in other words, this is another verse that speaks about once we leave the body, in other words, we're dead, that we go to be with the Lord. Our spirit returns, according to Ecclesiastes 12.7, from where it came from, and that's God. And so those couple verses, they talk about that, and they talk about what happens to our spirit once we're dead. So... She had vacated her body. She was gone. She was dead. The body was dead. And had already begun the decomposition process, even though it was only a little while, already begun that process to return to the earth. So Jesus, when he gets in the room, and it's only Peter, James, and John and the parents. Those are the only people in the room. So he gets in the room with her, and Jesus calls the girl. And and I want you to think about him calling her back. Well, who's he calling back? He's calling back her spirit. Where's her spirit? With the Lord. Going to be with the Lord. And so he calls back her spirit. Come on back. Not done yet. But see, everybody knows she's dead, right? And she is dead. There she is. But to Jesus, he knew she was going to wake up again. To Jesus, he knew that her spirit was going to come back. To Jesus, he knew that there would come a time where she was going to come alive again. And so when he spoke to those people, said, well, she's just asleep. Because what happens when you sleep? You lay down, you close your eyes, you go to sleep, and at some point, God willing, you open your eyes up, you wake up, and you get up, and you go on with your day. And so Jesus was comparing what was about to happen to her to sleep because that's what it was going to look like. That's what it was going to look like. She just laid down and took a nap and she was going to get up in a few minutes. That's how he saw it. And so that's the way he described it. And they were laughing at him. They were mocking him. They were completely deriding him for that. Utterly deriding him for that. That's what that, that word means. And so as he calls her back, The Bible talks about her spirit returning. Her spirit returned and re-entered her. This is a unique phrase only used in Luke. And there's some people that believe, me included, that, and there are a few of these phrases in Luke that you don't find other places because Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. And so he used certain words and he used certain terms in his gospel that you don't see in any of the other gospels. Because you think about the other gospel writers, they were not physicians. 
In fact, the other gospel writers, most of them weren't educated. The same way that Luke was educated. And so he used other terms, he used other Greek terms that they wouldn't use. He used even Aramaic terms that they wouldn't use. And this is one of those. That her spirit returned or re-entered her body. And when that happened, she rose from the bed. And according to the Gospel of Mark, she walked. She walked around. And the whole idea behind that was just to show that she wasn't some zombie. That really, and that's why they describe it this way, that her spirit literally returned to her body. Her spirit literally came back and she was alive again. She woke up and she got up and she began to walk around. And so I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to think about the series of events that took place right there. Now Jesus, you can say, well, he's Jesus, that doesn't count, but it does count. It does count. Jesus did not raise every person he saw that was dead to life. He didn't. How do you know that? Because his father died. Because Joseph died. And he didn't raise Joseph from the dead. Joseph was just dead. And there are other people, I'm sure, in his village, there are other people as he ministered all around Galilee, as he ministered in Jerusalem, as he ministered in in Samaria, or wherever he went, I'm sure he came across people that were having funerals, he came across people that, that people had died and that were mourning. And he did not raise every dead person to life. But here was a moment, here was a time, Here was a a situation where there was a man who was willing to do what was necessary. Here was a man that was willing to defeat fear in his own life, even if it was his greatest fear, and to walk past that fear to only believe. And he responded to that. And he raised this girl from the dead. And I think it's interesting how he did it. He just called her spirit back. Come on back. Now, if the spirit is that important to life, I mean, really that important to our lives, how much more attention should we pay to that part of us? I mean, we'll pay a lot of attention to our bodies. I'm hungry. All right, I guess better eat. I gotta go to the bathroom. You go to the bathroom. That's what your body told you. You know, lots of things your body tells you. You do it. Well, what about your spirit? I mean, her body, without her spirit, just dead. It was just dead. And it seems kind of weird that we would listen to our bodies more than we listen to our spirit. It seems kind of weird that we'd put an emphasis on our body when our body isn't what's keeping us alive. I mean, we like to think of it that way. And, I, and yeah, I'm not against taking care of my body. You guys know that. I eat right. I exercise. I do what I need to do. I'm not against that at all. But I fully recognize 100% that without my spirit, all my hard work doesn't mean anything. Because my spirit's gone. I don't care how good a shape I'm in. My spirit's gone. I don't care how well I ate. My spirit's gone. I don't care, you know, whatever it is. How strong my heart is or whatever it is, if my spirit's gone, I'm dead. Because that's the life. And so if I'm going to take care of something, I'd better take care of my spirit. 
And it's not wrong to take care of the rest of you either, but I'm going to take care of my spirit. And I'm going to feed my spirit. I'm going to feed that part of me that connects with God. I'm going to feed that part of me that brings life into me. I'm going to feed that part of me that, that really matters, truly matters. You know, I, I, I structure my day like that on a typical day. You know, I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to feed my spirit first. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to take some time, digest some of what the Bible has to say. I'm going to let God speak to me. I'm going to talk to Him. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to eat something. I'm going to go exercise. And then I'm going to go on my day. But I don't want to go anywhere and I don't want to start eating anything. I don't want to do anything until I've fed my spirit. And the rest of it will fall into place, but there's got to be some priority in our life. Something that means something to us where we look at and say, okay, what do I need? I need to feed my spirit. Number one. Number two, I need whatever it is we need next. Normally, let's go to the bathroom for me, but it, it could be in any order you want. But I'm going to feed my spirit first. And then I'll do whatever else happens. Because I recognize right here, I see it leave. I see Jesus call it back. And she's alive again. Alive. That dead body, that body that everybody knew was dead, reanimated in the power of the Holy Spirit. She came alive. There it is. Her spirit returned and re-entered her. She rose from the bed and she began to walk around. And so Jesus gives an instruction. What's his instruction right after that? Feed her something. Give her some meat to eat. Give her something to eat. What he says. And so he says, feed the body. Again. Again. What came first? Spirit. She's alive. Then what do you got to do? Then you feed the body. See the order? You see the order. I want. I really want you to see that. I want you to understand that. I want you to take hold of that somehow into your heart, into your mind. When your day is rushed, take that into your heart and into your mind. When you got other things to do, take that into your heart and into your mind. When you haven't got time for this, yeah, you need to make time. Because dead is dead. And if we're going to start life, we're going to live, we're really going to live somehow, we need to feed our spirit first. Then the body comes. Then the body comes. Let's look up a few verses. I'm going to talk about a symbolic experience for us, but it speaks to this process in our life. Colossians 2.12 and Romans 6.4. Colossians 2.12 in Romans 6.4. Okay, Colossians 2.12, anybody? Thank you. Romans 6.4. 
thank you. All right, so so here's a symbolic experience. And and symbolism it it it's, it hosts meaning. It hosts truth. I mean it doesn't always. Some symbols are stupid. Some symbols are meaningless. Some symbols are whatever they are. But baptism is a symbol for us that has a lot of meaning. And it speaks a lot to our faith. Because what baptism is, is a descriptor. It's a descriptor of what Jesus has done in our life or what Jesus is doing in our life. And in both of these cases, Colossians and in Romans, it speaks of death. It speaks of a burial. You see, you bury people when they're really dead. Right? You're dead, dead. And so when you're dead, dead, they lay out, they do whatever they're going to do, they mourn over you, they, they clean you up, they put some spices on you. It was common in this time where they would you know, pseudo-mummify uh, the body, in a sense, in sheets and stuff. Not like the Egyptians, but they had their own spices and they had their own ways of doing it. And then they would place you in a tomb. That's it. In the morning, they would do it within three days of when you died. I don't know if you know much about funerals, uh, if you've ever been to other uh, funer- funerals in other faiths. But like, say, have you ever been to, anybody here ever been to a Jewish funeral? It's kind of interesting, uh, and I won't get too much into that, but the ceremony. But what's really interesting to me about it is, number one, they take place, they don't embalm the bodies. They don't take the blood out of the bodies. Christians do. Do you know this? Is this too gross for everybody? Okay. As Christians, we, uh, most Christians, we take the blood out of the body and we, and we put embalming fluid into the body, which helps preserve the body for a little while longer so that they have time to get your relatives and friends into town in order to view the body and have the funeral. That's the idea behind it. And so through technology, what they've done is they've extended the time that a person can actually, their body can actually last, um, so that a funeral doesn't have to take place within the first few days. Well, uh, Jewish people don't do that. They don't remove the blood. And so the body begins to decompose more quickly. And so a funeral, a Jewish funeral, takes place within three days of death. So if you want to get to town for the funeral, you better get to town for the funeral because that person's going to be buried and that's it. They also, uh, at least most of the ones, if you go to a, a funeral home and you look at caskets, like we as Christians, we like to have really nice, fancy steel caskets, uh, usually in a nice color. And uh, we put people, and they have like uh, kind of velvety uh, insides with a pillow, and and it's it's frilly. And if it's a girl, it's girl colors. If it's a man, it's man colors. But and we have these things, and and you can buy it where it has a seal on it. It costs extra, but you can seal the casket. And, and then you put all the, you know, locks down and everything, and, and we love that. And you can get it with rust proofing on it, so it doesn't rust through as easily and all that. And there's two different philosophies here. In, in Jewish people, they bury people in wooden boxes. And it's not because they don't have the money for the steel casket, it's because of what they believe. And there's something different about the way we see things. The Jewish people, they, in their, and I'm not talking every Jewish person, I'm talking about in general, 
You follow me, or do I need to further disclaim this? You're following, I'm talking generalities. All right. I've been to lots of funeral homes. If you don't believe me, go check it out. But anyway, what I'm saying is they, they buy, just buy a simple wooden box. They put the person in it because they fully expect and want the decomposition of that body back to the earth. They leave the blood in. They put a simple wooden box into the ground, and that person begins to de- has already begun to decompose but continues to decompose at a faster rate in a wooden box. Now, we, on the other hand, we buy the luxury steel casket with the rubber seal around it, and we lock it down with the Z-Bart rust-proofing protection because why? We don't like the thought of our relatives and our friends and our loved ones decomposing in the ground. There's a certain superstition that drives that. The reality of the situation is, and these verses begin to illustrate it, the reality of the situation is, is that death is a part of our experience already. That baptism is symbolic of what Jesus is doing in us. That when we're baptized, there is that moment when we go under the water and it's at that spot under the water that we are buried with him in baptism. That's dead. We bury the dead. And then from that moment, and when I baptize people, and anybody I've ever baptized, you probably can attest to this, I will hold you underwater for just a second. Just a second. It's a slight second. But it's a little uncomfortable. I'm going to make you uncomfortable. You're going to recognize that you're under the water. And somebody has a big hand right on you holding you down. It does. It's not. Because all I do is I put somebody under the water. I'll be like, and then you come up. I take one breath. But it seems like a really long time. We are buried with him. Buried with him. And then as you're raised out of the water, you're raised to walk in a newness of life. You see, we want to call that spirit alive. We want to call that spirit alive in you. And and I, I don't know where you're at right now, and I don't know like how you're feeling about Jesus right now or how you're feeling about God, but man, your spirit not only do you need to feed that, that spirit needs to be called alive in some of us. That's why baptism is so important for us, is, is that that's that time, that's that moment. Let's call that to life. Let's call that real, you know, like, like Don. Let's call real Don to life right here. Because real Don is going to be alive a long time after his body is dead. And, and, and we can't be afraid of that. In fact, we need to live in that reality right now. That these aren't, this is not me. It's me, I mean, here I am, but the reality of it is, is that there's going to come a day where this part of me is going to die, and it's going to decompose, and it's going to be gone, unless Jesus comes back. Can't believe I just disclaimed that, but I did. Unless Jesus comes back. But that's just what's going to happen. But me... I'm going to live. I'm going to keep living. Because as soon as this dies off, I'm going to be somewhere. I'm going to be with God. 
And I will see people, and I will know people, and I will see you, and I will know people that, that I've known, and these eternal relationships will continue just as they've been going on right now. Here in this place, they will continue in that place. That's why our relationships are eternal. That's why our relationships are important. And so that spirit that is us, it, we, we need life in that. And we need to feed that. And we need to recognize that. And we need to live in that. Because something is going to be set free in us that's going to set us free from that kind of a fear. I've heard it said, everybody fears death. I've met people that sure didn't seem like it. I've met people that sure didn't live like it. And I'm not even sure that's true. I don't think my great-grandmother feared death at all. She never gave me the impression she feared death. And man, could she give a whooping. I'll tell you that. Whoa. But she went about her death the same way she went about her life. And you've heard me tell this story, and I'll tell this story at funerals a lot of times. She, the day she was going to die, she was as calm as anything, told my grandma, hey, you need to take me to the hospital. Why, you have an appointment? Nope. I, I need to go to the hospital. Take me to the emergency room. And my grandma didn't understand it, but she wasn't going to argue with her either. And took her right to the emergency room. She was dead within an hour because she didn't want to die at the house because she thought that would be a bigger uh, burden on the family. She knew she was going to die. She left every insurance policy, every bank book, everything was signed over before she left the house. Knew she was going to die when she went calm as a cucumber. She understood that she was going to make a transition, but it was going to be without the body she was using right then. And so as we consider that, this story, to me, it, it speaks to a lot more than Jesus raising a girl from the dead. It speaks a lot to how we're supposed to live. And as we can live in the Spirit, if we can live in, in really understanding within ourselves who we are spiritually, we're going to order our time a little bit differently, I think. We're not going to fear some of the same stuff that everybody fears, I hope. And I really believe that can release some faith into us. Really release some faith into our lives to believe for some supernatural, some weird stuff that God wants to do. To not be bound by just what we know. Well, I'm literally a, a spiritual being right now. I know that sounds weird, but bet you didn't know that. And there's lots of stuff that we think we know that maybe we don't. Maybe we shouldn't. Because maybe that'll open up some doors for us to live a lot differently. Kind of a more exciting life in Jesus. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know about you, but I mean, I'll plod along if I have to. And I do. I'm a good soldier. I'll, I'll plod. I'll do what needs to get done. I'll put my head down, I'll work my way through it, whatever needs to happen. But I don't want to live that way all the time. I really don't. Because to me, that's not really living. That's, that, you know, that's existing, that's kind of getting through. 
That's not living. I want to live. I want to live. And, you know, Jesus, he, he called that girl spirit. And she came on back. And that body came alive and, and she started walking around. That's awesome. Testimony to everybody that was there. Testimony to all those professional mourners. A testimony to all those people that were making fun of him and laughing at him. A testimony to his own disciples. But you know what he told her? And then what he told the parents? Read the end of the verse there. Next couple of verses. Read, it. Read what he said to him after she came back. See to what? Is it in there? What does he say? Yep. Don't tell anybody, right? That's what I'm trying to say. He didn't even use it as a what it could have been. Uh, I don't know. She hadn't had time to really get. She hadn't had time to get really used to anything, you know. She's twelve. Who cares? She doesn't know. But then Jesus said, "Oh yeah, don't tell everybody." Because you know what? This is a lesson for us. This is our teaching. This is our teaching. It's for us. It's for his disciples. Anybody have any questions or anything you want to comment on on this? I'd go on a little bit more, but I I don't have time in this session. But Anything you're thinking about? Anything you want to comment on? Anything come to mind? Right. For me, I mean, I grew up in church, a comfortable church. So, you know, you grow up with how God works, how you function, and to have a bigger expectation, and, you know, like, well, maybe that that will happen to me. And then I think my Chinese students always just remind me that even more, because, you know, sometimes during share prayer, you know, we'll encourage sharing words we get from God, and so, like, brand new to them. So sometimes they'll share things that's, like, similar to some of their cultural beliefs, and, you know, that's, you know, can't, like, judge that or cringe that, or, you know, kind of just opening and sharing. But then other times, like, they'll share something super spot on, and you're like, really? Hmm. How, you know, what do they really know about Jesus or about God at that point that I, you know, that I know? But it doesn't matter because God's still going to do and speak and they hear it, they, they go for it. Right. Yeah, and, and that, too, I will remind everybody here, we're a terrible church growth model here. I mean, we're friendly, we're nice and everything, but our main purpose isn't to make people feel super comfortable because if we were that, then there'd be no room for God to move, in a sense. And I don't mean that completely. I just mean that that there's sometimes just weird things that God wants to do, and that will make people uncomfortable every now and then. And and so we've made a decision over the years that yeah we're you know we're we're just naturally friendly so we're going to be friendly to people and you know accepting and and all of that but if God moves I can't be ashamed of that if God moves I can't be worried about it if God moves and and does something that maybe is kind of weird I just can't shut that down because I know somebody's going to freak out and leave I can't. And and so it's a, it's a constant reminder. 
of who we are and who God's called us to be. is true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We don't fear change. Yeah, I have a I had a journal. I don't know what I did with it, but I used to have a journal where I'd write miracles in the journal. And uh, like you were just talking about that, I did that over my gas tank. I had a little Nissan Sentra one time, and I, I the yellow light had come on, you know, that says you're out of gas almost, when I was in Rochester. And I drove all the way to Fredonia, and then I drove it for a week. And then I got on the road and started driving toward... Uh, Penyan from there, and uh, I mean, like I went over 200 miles, <laughs> like yeah, well, that's a lot on a gallon, but uh, yeah, yeah, that was just a little four-cylinder car, yeah. uh, no, all right, okay, let's pray, and Father, I pray that you would challenge us somehow, some way tonight. And I I pray, Jesus, for you to call our spirits to life. I pray for a call to go out tonight for our spirits to come to life, to more life, to more abundance. Uh, Yeah. Give us ears to hear. 
Because God, we want to live. We want to live. And so God, I just ask that as we set down our priorities, our time, our effort, that uh, you'd help us to put things in the right order. What matters the most. And I just ask you, God, that we would be a supernatural people. People that believe you for more and for greater. And God, if that means weird things sometimes, it's what it means. If it means things don't make any sense sometimes, it's what it means. If the rules are broken, that's what it means. If laws are broken as far as natural laws about whatever it is, walking on water, being one place, being another, whatever it is, so be it. But I pray, God, that our faith would grow and our experiences with you would grow. And I pray we could really live, really live in your presence, really live with your Holy Spirit empowering us, really live in, in a kingdom place. So I pray for more of you, pray for more power, I pray for more love. I just ask you, Lord, that our lives would be something more than they are today, and even maybe something more than they ever have been before. But I speak life, life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. Thanks for coming tonight. It's good to see everyone.